welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. In this episode, I interview Dr. Maribel Alvarez. She is an anthropologist and talks about leveraging traditions around food and agriculture as a tool for community empowerment. Her work with La Doce Barrio Food Waste Project in Tucson, Arizona, was the topic of a breakout session at a Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit for the Rocky Mountain and Southwestern states. We caught up with her during a break. So in doing my homework for this interview, I learned that you are originally from Cuba, and yet here you are dedicating your life's work to studying and preserving culture and folklore in the American Southwest. What got you interested and involved in Chicano arts community and multicultural arts movement? Well, that's an interesting question. We all are a collection of stories, aren't we? Places we live, um, sometimes circumstances that bring us to incredible opportunities, doors of how we perceive the world. So I, I won't have time today to go in depth into the narrative, but I do uh, take a great deal of joy in uh, telling people that I'm a tricultural Latina. <laughs> I was born in Cuba, I grew up in Puerto Rico, and then uh, at age 18 I went to California where I became involved uh, with Chicano uh, community organizations, community arts. And I do have to say that in in that trajectory, which was both a, a matter of geography, moving from Cuba in 1969 to Puerto Rico, growing up there, and then going to university in California, I think throughout all of that, the thread has always been community, a word that is often misunderstood because there's a lot of things I like about my community and other things I don't so much. And uh, this, this complicated relationship that we all have with our identities, um, sometimes um, understanding that at the end of the day there is a residue in all of us of wanting to belong, to be understood, to feel at home. And But I have learned in my life that the Chicano community gave this Cuban-born activist, curator, thinker, uh, a, a place to do that. I hope that we can do that for each other in different ways, you know, in different communities. It's not easy to do that translation. I do have to say that I'm not the only one. There, is, there are other Cubans embedded in other cultural communities where they have grown surrounded by other types of ethnicities and certainly in, in deep commitment and relationship with Chicano community, Mexican-American communities, Puerto Rican communities, uh, and also Central American communities. So it's important that we discover diversity across these very nuanced experiences of migration and relocation, and that's my story. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. You know, what I could say about feeling like, feeling a part of a community, I feel like I'm always on the outside looking in, and uh, only very recently in my life have I learned to be comfortable with that 
and just say, you know what, I'm an iconoclast and I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> Community is a complicated word. Yeah. And I find it ironic that I have spent my the greater part of my adult life working to advance community, and I myself has such, have such a complicated relationship to that, only in the sense that community also implies um, insiders versus outsiders all yeah. the time. Yes. Know? And uh, we have to contend with that, even as we do uh, creative placemaking and this kind of work of organizing and social transformation, we have to uh, not have our eyes um, closed to the complications and the contradictions sometimes that are inherent in how we claim the meaning of these words. Mm -hmm. What typical typically defines a cultural asset and how are community narratives documented and shared? And how did La Doce Project do this differently? So glad you mentioned La Doce. Uh, it's a project we did in Tucson, uh, specifically in the south side of Tucson. Um, a coalition of organizations came together, the Southwest Folklife Alliance, the Community Food Bank, the Community Foundation, the City of Tucson um, Office of Sustainability, and a grassroots community organizing organization called Tierra y Libertad. And in that context, the, the subtitle of the La Doce project was Barrio Foodways. So we looked at food as the entryway to solicit, I think, an, from the community a sense of what was important to them, really breaking that divide between assets and deficits that has become so important to the work we do, all of us in this field of community cultural development. Food as an entryway to say, people know what they need to do to nourish their sense of belonging, their sense of purpose, their sense of meaning. They share those traditions. They have knowledge that can be turned into economic development. Certainly lots of immigrants turn that knowledge as, and their experiences with food as the first asset that they activate to open a business or to belong in a community or to be independent and not have to work for somebody else. All of these are aspirations that we found food uh, provided a lens and a window and a door and all of the metaphors you want to think about to enter into that conversation. Community narratives um, became an essential part of how we recorded everything from the knowledge of particular recipes to the practices that people were doing in their homes of uh, cooking for others, and that eventually led to the formation of at least one collective of women who organized a catering business uh, out of that. Um, that we, we said in the project, we started with food and we ended with a call to action. What is that call to action? To create a mechanism of self-governance for the community and a cultural space that we are still in the process of trying to imagine and develop. Uh, reclaiming some ownership of land through probably trying to tease out how we can use the community land trust idea to form shared governance and that people can do more of what we did in a, in a pilot model uh, in a larger scale for that neighborhood. A neighborhood that has is in Tucson recognized for having one of the most iconic and delicious Mexican food restaurants that define the city identity, the city history, and 
yet so much of what is happening Hap is happening there is also not codified in a formal form of a business, but it's happening through people's sharing of food in informal ways, growing gardens in their backyards, um, growing, uh, having chickens, um, transforming um, citrus into jams and different ways of uh, preparing food to earn a living, everything from selling tamales in the parking lot of the big supermarket mm. uh, to uh, baking, uh, even uh, bakeries at home, which can in some locations be uh, accepted through the city codes and sometimes not. So the whole range of practices through which food becomes um, what Dr. Maria Rosario Jackson has properly called um, this, uh, these assets that are both fuel and glue, the things that make things go and the things that hold things together. We, we use food in that particular way mm -hmm. in this project. What is the name of the iconic restaurant that you refer to? There's a few. Uh, there is Huero Canelo, which is a, a taco quesadillas place. There is BK Tacos. These are both um, immigrants from Sonora, Mexico. Uh, they have the fame Sonora hot dogs. Uh, out of these establishments, we have um, La Estrella Bakery, where you can find delicious pan dulce. You have a lot of people who are what they call eloteros. They sell the corn uh, in, in either uh, the roasted corn or in different corn cocktails. Um, these are some of the most uh, widely recognized experiences of food al along that corridor. And, and who are the customers? Community is a largely 85% Mexican American and Mexican immigrants. It's a, it's a neighborhood that also has the, um, the bus station from the buses that travel from Sonora uh, will end up there, a lot of, of, of people. And we, we discovered, speaking earlier to what we were uh, describing, uh, the varieties of nuances in community, that people from many different regions of Mexico had also made their way to Tucson. It wasn't just Sonorenses, which is our adjacent state to Arizona, where is the majority of the culture of the Southwest in, in Arizona, Tucson, all the way up to California is very heavy dominated by Sonoran culture. But we discovered that there were immigrants from Southern Mexico, though from other regions of Mexico, who had food traditions that were different from the northern Mexican tradition. So there were nuances. When you said Mexican, you thought only one way, but there were Mexicans from all the different regions of Mexico. And that was a discovery to the community itself through this project. Yeah, interesting. I think people often forget that Mexico is the most populous Spanish-speaking country in Latin America. It's uh, huge country geographically as well. With uh, hundreds of distinct cultural traditions, a base sometimes of the land and the climate, the kinds of foods that grow are different in, in many ways. Uh, it, I think that when we began to understand that food was a, a way of opening a conversation to lead to ways of imagining, organizing, and different alternatives of development for that community, um, 
we also understood at some deep intrinsic level that the work was always there, <laughs> that we were not inventing anything new or adding anything that the community didn't already own as a form of social capital. But where we were coming in as organizers and planners and urban designers and sustainability and nonprofit leaders and cultural leaders, where we could help was in gathering those stories and giving them the proper place in the larger conversations that were going on in the city with respect to development. But never to delude yourself into believing that you are introducing something that is not already present. Mm -hmm. Some people would not think of cultivating a garden and cooking as an art. Uh, What makes it an art and why is it important to preserve traditions around food? Such a wonderful question. Um, what What is um, artistic in so many of our everyday expressions is, is hidden in plain view. Folklorists use that expression. What that we mean by that is that nobody just dresses. People put, put some thought into what they're going to wear. I, mean, I can show you something and say, Does, do you want to wear this? Even kids, you know, they have strong opinions mm-hmm. about, you know, I like that color. I don't like that color. I don't like how that looks. This is what we call in, in, our, in my field of folklore and folk life, the embellishment of the ordinary. And there's beauty in those forms of ordinary knowledge, of ordinary. So you don't just eat. You eat things that look good and taste good. <laughs> you don't just uh, shelter yourself under any old configuration of steel or cement. You actually decorate your home. You actually pay some attention to the way that... And now those aesthetics are extremely dependent on context and and different values. For some people, it's it's more minimalist. For others, it's more you know busy and clutter. Uh, for others, is uh, really bright colors, and for others, is muted colors. But people are intentional in how they go about existing and moving through this world. So we use that as the basis of what how we saw uh, the artistic in everyday practices, in gardening, in cooking in uh, fixing things that are broken, in trying to, um, to add to the conversation of art the dimension of culture. This is where you would always say arts and culture because there are obviously artistic products, things that you, objects that you can extract and put on a pedestal or on a wall, but there are also cultural practices that are embedded with what we, I would say, artfulness in, yeah. a, in a broader sense. You were you mentioned earlier something about uh, alternative methods of governance, cultural asset mapping, ethnography, and equity in community, which is uh, used to drive development initiatives. Could I know that's a complex <laughs> question? <laughs> and there's a bunch of words there. Some some academic words, some words that are part of uh, of the currency in this moment of doing cultural work. Some some are just buzzwords and trendy words. Um, on the other hand, I am not opposed to the value that having a a common vocabulary to talk about things we care about 
um, and the role that having that vocabulary can play in helping us move from A to B through C, you know, and, and making things happen in communities. I think that oftentimes um, you see the dignity of somebody who understands what they need to do to have, uh, to cook food safely. Uh, and not make people sick when they eat their tortillas or their tamales. But they don't necessarily know how to codify that knowledge into a permitting process that then makes them uh, not be subject to uh, city ordinances, violations, or fines. So I believe it's our responsibility to master some of that language of that codifies cultural practices. Asset mapping is a perfect example of that. Uh, what is an asset? You know, an asset is something that you can activate as a strength in a community. It stands in contrast to what is a deficit, something that you are lacking. So the fact that nowadays in the field of community creative placemaking, we use asset mapping as a repeated refrain to uh, invoke mechanisms of documentation and of knowing where we're starting from. Where are we starting from when I enter this community and the aspirations for transformation or change? We call it asset mapping. For many people, can also be called ancestral knowledge. Mm -hmm. For many people, it can be called, you know, homespun resiliency. <laughs> um, for others, it will simply be called make do. Yeah, <laughs> coping. Uh, so I think there's a lot of beauty in trying to stand in, be the person or the organization that mediates and translates uh, this language. Now, uh, at the university, I know that sometimes that is done really well and sometimes not so good. And communities have been, um, are weary of some more researchers and more, you know, bushy-tailed and bright-eyed researchers and students coming into communities to do projects that, hey, it will benefit you, believe me, without the community having been consulted. I think the more we talk about the errors and the mistakes and the, the blind spots, the more that we also open the door for good things to happen in different models of power sharing and equitable um, participatory research models and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm not uh, ignorant of the way in which language can be alienating to name the things we love and value. I'm very aware of that. I also am not afraid to use the language as a tool of empowerment to get to a different place. Sure, sure. Um, I I'm sure it's helpful to anyone living in a community to um, make that mental switch to think of what they do as an asset um, ra rather than, like you said, as uh, we just, we're making do, you know, we're just trying to live. It's, it's interesting when we talk with native communities and native practitioners, tradition bearers, it's not always easy to, um, to have, to remain in that place of humility for researchers to know that 
it really is a dialogue and that you bring things and other people bring other things. We talk a lot about equitable um, evaluations, equitable grants funding, equitable um, mechanisms of designing community development, but in practice, uh, equity and inclusion is, um, it, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of commitments, it takes a lot of checking in assumptions that we make about each other. Um, I have seen it work, La Dose was a beautiful example, but not because, but the, f the framework there, right? let me rephrase that, the framework allowed some of that equity to emerge because from the very beginning it was designed that way. For example, the, the budget allowed for us to be able to hire a community organizer who lived in that community and who was not uh, a person that represented the agenda of the external agencies working in the It was a coalition, in, and the, the bulk of the money were, uh, was invested in a community organizer and in a stipend for the community ethnographers, so that there was a framing of value that was manifested materially in how you organize the project. You, you know what mm. I'm saying? It wasn't just an aspiration, oh, let's be equitable, and when I call a meeting, you should come. <laughs> it, it was the reverse. It's like when you call a meeting, I'll be sure that I'm there. And and I like to hear that some that somebody got paid, you know that the Hello. Per, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> that it wasn't just a volunteer effort. Yeah. Give us all your great thoughts of what you want to do. Go talk to your neighbors. Document all of this. Show up to all the planning meetings and uh, thank you for your labor. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I know that you're no longer with the Southwest Folklife Alliance, but you were for many years. I, am, I have changed my role a little bit. I'm still very deeply involved with uh, their, their planning and their curatorial work, but uh, I have a, a new position at the University of Arizona College of Social and Behavioral Science, where I've been asked to uh, serve as Associate Dean for Community Engagement and take some of this work and this knowledge and, and frame it so that it can be useful for others in the college. Oh, congratulations, yeah. Thank and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. We, right now, um, we're at the West Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit, and we got our food from uh, the buffet, and we're sort of like smelling it and, and waiting to eat it. So, uh, buen provecho. Muchas gracias. Thank you. New Mexico is a great place to visit. Uh, everywhere you look, there's culture and art and tastefulness and uh, uh, magic. Really, yeah. it's it's the the the, the stage called the land of enchantment, and they're not kidding. Yeah, I'm enchanted. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andrea. Uh, you're welcome. Listening to Creative Place, produced by the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. Visit our show page at cpcommunities.org and follow us on social media at CP Communities. Bye for now.